Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, a bit of a different podcast this week as uh, we're doing a little bit of a different format as generally speaking is this John and I kind of blabbering on for uh, about half an hour or so about uh, useless nonsense and generally pretending to know what we talk <laughs> about when it comes to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But after a couple wins and a big week coming up, we decided to switch things up a little bit and I am going between Two Johns this week, as we are going to preview the Labor Day Classic, and I hope this kind of becomes a thing over as long as uh, Drew and Justin allow us to keep doing this podcast every year for the Labor Day Classic between two Johns with myself, John Fraser, and our good friend at 3 Down Nation, and from the Blue Bomber Talk podcast in English, John Hodge. Hodge, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, boys. How about yourselves? I would I would say above average. I finished up my first of three fantasy football drafts. Uh, I'm well rested and uh, ready for some Labor Day goodness this weekend. Childless this weekend, so you know I'm going to not get a chance to watch it. I'll probably be doing yard work and listening to the sweet, sultry tones of Bob Irving and Doug Brown, which is not such a bad way to go. No, there are certainly worse ways to spend a weekend, like listening uh, to the legend himself. And uh, we'll get into some comments made uh, to Bob Irving from Matt Nichols a little later in the show. As uh, we're just going to really concentrate today on the game coming up. Because I think the game last week for the Riders, uh, they they won against BC. And it was a lot of the same sort of storylines we've talked about again and again and again with this team. The defense was outstanding. The offense was okay for a little bit and then kind of not good. So... We don't really need to harp on that a whole lot, and I think for the first time really in a number of years, there's like really a lot on the line this week on Labor Day, because both of these teams are heading in different directions, but they're kind of in the same spot overall in the standings right now, and these next two games really could go a long way in deciding where the standings in the West end up, especially between those two teams, so we're mostly going to talk about this game, especially because, well, we have Haji on the podcast as well, so we don't... We don't really need him coming on here talking about stuff that John and I can talk about quite mm-hmm. ineffectively on our own. So we'll uh, we'll bring uh, Haji in for that. But first, uh, boys, uh, starting with you as usual, Fraser, because I can't call you John because we wouldn't know who which one I was talking to. Uh, True enough. Fraser, what's in the cup? Well, first off, a tip of the cup for saying Fraser right. Uh, most people would butcher it, but clearly this is why we are friends. Um, in the cup with... The inspiration of bringing on our friend Haji for this podcast is uh, my first introduction to craft beer, 
I went out and got from the Sobeys Liquor Store a little Fort Gary Pale. That is what is in the glass tonight. Uh, probably the first craft beer I tried. And I figure it's Winnipeg-based for a Winnipeg kind of base podcast. Going to give it a shot. Uh, always a classic for me. If you're in Manitoba, make sure to pick some up. Uh, you can find a few places here in Saskatchewan, as obviously I did, as I did not do a smuggler's run down to Verdon. <laughs> Haji, uh, you sipping on anything tonight? Uh, I I may or may not be sipping on a little bit of Stella Artois at the moment. So figure out classy, I, uh, a little if I'm classy gonna be man the, around here. I, well, well, if I'm going to be on the green cast, <laughs> then I, I I may or may not have to uh, have something to sip on. So uh, I understand as a teacher, uh, you maybe can't the... fully admit to it, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's still the summertime, and uh, I'm just enjoying a nice summer refreshment. That's all. Absolutely, and uh, for myself, uh, I have some torque in the fridge from Winnipeg. I almost went that route, but uh, I decided to go with uh, just a classic out of Nokomis, Saskatchewan in the Nokomis IPA. Jeff and the gang up there, as usual, just doing a bang-up jog with a little bit of a, a tweaked recipe that makes it taste even better than it did before. So if uh, you're looking for a nice balanced IPA, I will always recommend the Nokomis IPA. So we're heading into a big week now. Uh, the riders... Uh, Big win last week over BC. Gave, gave themselves some distance between them and the Lions. And it's against the Bombers now. So this game, it's always fun. It's always an, an important game in the season. Whether one team's good, both teams are good, both teams are bad. It's still always fun. And the atmosphere is always great. But I think this year, it's ratcheted up a notch because both teams are kind of in the same spot right now. They seem to be heading in different directions. But overall, they're kind of in the same way. And Haji, I just want your thoughts on overall how it feels like this Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl follow-up seems like, for the first time in a while, there's so much on the line, and it should really be a fun couple of weeks between these two teams. Yeah, if if you look back over the, the history of this rivalry, it's it's actually pretty rare, the number of times, at least in the last, say, 15 years, that both teams have been competitive. Uh, that always hasn't mattered. For instance, in 2011, the Bombers were 7-1, the Riders were 1-7, and, and Winnipeg, probably a little bit too big for their britches, went in and, and, and lost by a pretty one, uh, one-sided one score uh, in the 2011 uh, Labor Day Classic. And a couple of years later, uh, the Riders eventually would go on to be uh, Great Cup champs in 2013. The Bombers were uh, completely stuck in the what I'll call the Joe Mac toilet. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> they still... Uh, they they still managed to to win the banjo bowl by a, a fairly one-sided score and so team records haven't always mattered but it is nice i think for fans certainly in the provinces of saskatchewan manitoba but also i think across the league when the riders and the bombers are competitive because anytime you can get more eyeballs more attention more ink more viewership anything uh more butts and seats certainly it it, it benefits everybody right a, a rising uh uh, a rising tide uh, helps all ships, I think the saying is. So it's nice that the Bombers or the Riders have something to play for. They're essentially tied to the standings right now. The Bombers are 5-5, five and five, Riders are 5-4. and four. And you're right. This uh, These two games will, will go a long way, I think, to determining the, the West Division standings. I think it's pretty safe to say that the Stampeders are going to be hosting the West Final again this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Esks and then certainly the Bombers and Riders are, are right there at three and four and should one of these two teams manage to say sweep these two games 
and clinch the season series, they do meet for a third time later in the season in Winnipeg. But if one of these teams can sweep these two contests, which is very tough to do, but if they can, um, I think come November, we'll be looking back at those two contests and say, okay, yeah, I, I can see kind of where this team cemented its place in the West Division. You, you know what has made me, um, normally makes me rationally angry around this time of year, but I haven't seen it quite as much this year, is the talking heads going, oh, the CML season starts at Labor Day, everybody. Because <laughs> you, you just mentioned about cementing your spot in the West Division. Um, this this matchup, these two matchups have much more meaning, largely because of what these teams did earlier in the season in cementing their spots. The Bombers have now won the division, won the tiebreaker when it comes to BC. I believe the Riders have as well. So this, again, shows the importance of the entire CFL season and doesn't go to one of my big pet peeves of, the season starts at Labor Day, guys. Everybody buckle up. No, the season started on week one in the West Division. This isn't, I mean, okay, I get it. Out East, you could probably still cobble like three and a half games together, like two wins and a tie, and all of a sudden you're hosting a home <laughs> playoff game. But I'm just, I'm just glad that through all my reading, all my Twittering, nobody has said it. And if they do say it, I'm confiscating a hot dog cannon on Ryder's little go-kart with a siren on it and directly blasting you with a hot dog bazooka. On, <laughs> on another note, Haji, while we have you, Mr. Blue Bomber Talk podcast, one of the, if you're a Bomber fan, great, great listen to. Haji, of course, great man who... I think you bought me a drink once. That makes you an even better person. But uh, the question the question being, <laughs> heading into Labor Day, talking about those early season wins for the Bombers. Chris Streveler was the man. Came in a little bit last week. Chris Streveler looked like the man. Well, it looks like Matt Nichols is just a little bit off right now. As a Blue Bomber fan, how are you feeling about Matt Nichols going up against this aggressive Rider D? And follow-up question, do you think we'll see a little more Strevlove coming out of this ball? Uh, Well, uh, let's start by saying this. Matt Nichols, uh, I I think for the last two seasons since he became the Bombers starter in week six of the 2016 season, had had done himself a lot of favors in kind of changing the narrative around him being kind of a career game manager, right? Mm -hmm. Being a guy who was seen as a pretty average starter a guy who wasn't going to go out and win you games but wasn't necessarily going to go out and lose you games either but you know kind of a middling starter or even uh you know just a really solid backup and and he kind of shed that label last year he had 28 touchdown passes to just eight interceptions um and and he of course has led this team to to an excellent record as a starter i think it's some somewhere to the tune of 21 to and nine so it's 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 a very good record, um, but he hasn't been as sharp this year, and the numbers reflect that. His passing yardage per game is, is down almost 20%. Um, his touchdown-interception ratio, he like he threw eight picks all of last year. He's already thrown seven, um, and he's only started seven games. So he's on pace to throw more than twice the interceptions he did last year. Um, and rushing is something that I think has been a huge issue as well. Matt Nichols has never necessarily been a quarterback who's – you know, a huge, huge threat to take off and run at any given time. But he's he's rushing for literally, I think it's 20% of the yardage that he was rushing for per game last season. I think he's only taken off uh, a single-digit number of t- times this year. And I think that's, that's I, I, to me anyways, a, a big deal. Because a quarterback who can run, and I'm not saying necessarily – you know, Michael Vick, who can take over a game with his legs, but mm-hmm. just having the mobility to, to have that as an option 
changes the way in which defenses need to prepare for you, need to look, need, need you know, need to look at you, and need to uh, decide the way in which they are going to uh, navigate defending you. And if you're unwilling or unable to take off from the pocket in any capacity, you're a sitting duck. And that's something that we've seen at times this year, particularly, I think, late in the Calgary game last week when Matt Nichols was, you know, he had his receivers blanketed and he he had nowhere to go with the football. As you said, uh, Fraser, there's there's there's, you know, uh, a quarterback in Winnipeg who's who's very athletic and can can use his legs and. While we know Chris Streveler won't be starting the game, I advocated on the Blue Bomber Talk podcast this week for Chris mm-hmm. Streveler to get meaningful snaps in this game because, you know, as has kind of been demonstrated over the last, especially two games where the Bombers have been without Weston Dressler, Matt Nichols is 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 not able to move the football consistently, which, which is uh, something we haven't seen in Winnipeg since he became mm-hmm. a starter, but it's certainly troubling. And um, I think when you're facing Chris Jones, uh, uh you know, a top defensive mind in the CFL who has, uh, you know, full, full credit to him in that defense at Saskatchewan, an excellent unit, you're going to have to do anything you can to shake things up and, and provide different looks to match the different looks that, that Jones is going to give you. And so I think the Bombers, if they're smart, are going to find a way to get Streveler on the field one way or another. When it comes to Matt Nichols, I almost <laughs> we've always had questions about him, and it seemed like he answered them. And then I just wonder with the injury and... Some of the post-game comments he's made recently, not so much that I disagree with what he's been saying, and I'm never going to slam a guy for coming out and saying what's on his mind when so many players don't. And I know the tone of the thing with Bob Irving was kind of taken out of context by a lot of people, especially the TSN panel. But I just wonder for Matt Nichols right now, and Haji, you can maybe you can just you can prove me wrong or right on this. I just wonder if some of it is between his ears at this point, where because things are kind of struggling, he's just it's just not all there for him in his mind right now, like it was so clear for him last year. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the whispers that I heard back in training camp when Matt Nichols first suffered, <clears throat> excuse me, his, his knee injury made it out to be to be a bad injury. It was one that was going to keep yeah. him out for, you know, probably the first third of the season. And the Bombers had kind of a, a conveniently placed by week at about the third mark of the season. And so that's that's essentially what I was told is he's going to be out for, you know, probably a total of eight weeks and he's going to be. Um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll come in after that buy and the bombers didn't, didn't let that happen. They had him in week four, um, in the back to back with BC, um, a game that that club won. Um, but you know, Matt Nichols has clearly not been as sharp. He's, he's certainly not been as mobile whatsoever. And, and part of that might just be age. He's 31. Now guys don't run the same at 31 as they do at 23, but, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Some of it might be between his ears. One of the big linchpins outside of just the knee injury for me with Nichols was was when Weston Dressler went down very early in the game to, to Hamilton. He's missed the last two games completely, but he missed, you know, well over three quarters of that contest against the Ticats. Yeah. And looked after Dressler was out of that game. He didn't look remotely comfortable against Ottawa, and largely this past week against Calgary, he, he wasn't comfortable either. And so, you know, Nichols has been without Dressler for stretches over the past two years. Dressler at this stage in his career is just, he's not going to be a guy who plays 18 games. But um, I, I think you're probably on to something, Joel, in that, in that it could be mental because, you know, as much as the knee and as much as the absence of Dressler and 
and just you know the pressure of being the starting quarterback in Winnipeg Blue Bombers are are probably contributing factors. Those are all things that he's dealt with and kind of mitigated the past few seasons. Whereas this year, we're we're kind of seeing cracks in the concrete, so to speak, that that weren't necessarily there in in years past. You know, you can mention a IGF field joke as soon as you bring up the cracks of the concrete there, John. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, unlike the shiny new uh, surface, of course, Saskatchewan has. Uh, John, from an outside observer, um, if you've listened to our podcast, we've kind of had, it's almost been the same story all season long. The rider offense, neither of us, I'm on board with you now, Joel, for the record, uh, especially after watching the BC game. I don't think this is an offense that can win the football game. But that defense has been so very impressive. Um, meanwhile, the the Bomber defense this year has been Swiss cheese-like at times, has been a little stinky at times. Uh, I'm going to pose this to both of you gentlemen here. What do you think is going to win in this game? Is it going to be the Ryder offense? Do you think the Ryder offense can take advantage of some stinky Bomber defense or... Do you think that rider defense is just going to take Matt Nichols out behind the woodshed and, you know, pull a lassie on him? <laughs> you can go first, Joel. You know, I it's a, it's a good question because I was thinking about that today where both teams have a strength and a weakness that is the opposite of each other. Overall, this season, the Winnipeg offense has been pretty good. It's going through a little bit of a rough patch right now, but if they can get Andrew Harris going again, you know that's going to be a challenge for any defense. And at the same time, while that rider defense has been so good that they should be able to contain Andrew Harris and do what they have to do, I really think there's a chance that both really could happen. I think you could see the rider defense just really focus on Andrew Harris. And as I heard you, Haji, say a lot on the Blue Bomber Talk podcast this week, talk about how teams have effectively tried to shut down Andrew Harris and make Matt Nichols beat them, and they he really hasn't been able to. I can't imagine Chris Jones would do anything else, so I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of run blitz and a lot of focus on Andrew Harris and try to make Nat, Matt Nichols beat him. And at the same time, with the bomber, the rider offense might have a chance this week to actually do something more than like a field goal here or there and maybe one touchdown if they're lucky against a defense that has been known to give up a lot of yards. Now, the rider offense has picked up yards at times. They've put together a few drives. Finishing has been their problem. So if they can figure that out twice, I would say, it very well could go both ways in this game. Yeah, I, I think the the key with the Bomber offense, at least the last last few weeks, has, has been largely the absence of Andrew Harris. The Stampeders took Andrew Harris away completely on the ground. He averaged 1.8 yards per carry. Uh, this last game at McMahon Stadium. And the prior week, when the Bombers sosed to the Red Blacks, they completely took him out of the passing game. Um, basically, what Noel Thorpe and that defense did was, anytime Andrew Harris went for an outlet pass, the uh, the defensive end on that side would just go with him. Whether it was Avery Ellis or A.C. Leonard, two very athletic defensive ends, A.C. Leonard even having a background as a tight end receiver kind of hybrid in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, they, they would just follow him out. Now, if you're an offensive coordinator and a team is willing to get rid of essentially a defensive end or, or one of their top pass rushers in every play, I, I think you're kind of laughing because that opens up a ton of opportunities for your quarterback to take off and run. That opens up a giant passing lane. But the Bombers weren't able to take advantage. And if you're not able to take advantage uh, of looks like that, then that that's a problem because that's something that 
every other team is going to see on film and say, hey, if, if the Bombers have been given this look and they can't handle it, we need to make this look a part of our defense this week, even if it's not something that we normally bring onto the field. And uh, Chris Jones, uh, I think, again, as I said, I, I have tremendous respect for what he he does and what he brings to the table as a as a defensive mastermind. And uh, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna borrow some of what they see from other teams. They're gonna incorporate it into what they already do. And they have some very athletic, versatile pieces, right? You see Toby Antigua mm-hmm. playing defensive end and safety mm-hmm. probably the first time in maybe the history of football that a player <laughs> specializes at two positions and it's defensive end and safety. Um, but uh, you know, the, the versatility that the riders have on defense, I think is going to, is going to give the bombers all they can handle. The bombers are still the highest scoring offense in the CFL, even with what they've, you know, kind of struggled with the last few weeks. But uh, on the flip side, I I've kind of lost faith in this bomber defense. I think this bomber defense has a ton of talent. Um, you know, I, I think uh, their 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 defensive line is a little underrated. Like I think Jackson, Jeff Coat, Corey Johnson, Drake Nevis is having a nice back uh, bounce back season. Um, you know, Adam Big Hills, a former defensive uh, or most outstanding defensive player, and I, I think he could even be making a case for that this year. Mo Leggett's a tremendous playmaker. Taylor Loeffler is an excellent safety. Uh, Joven Santos Knox is really rounding well into that that weak side linebacker spot. I'm just not convinced they're getting the most of that talent. And that's something that I think could be an opportunity for Saskatchewan this week. I, I don't think a lot of, of Saskatchewan's offensive line necessarily. Um, Trey Mason, I, I, I think is okay. I think he's serviceable. I don't think he's a game breaker. Um, and their receiving core is, is, you know, kind of, it's weird saying this considering that last year, I think they, they could have maybe challenged Edmonton for the best group in the league. They're, they're suddenly very young. Right with, mm-hmm. with the, the deletions they've made and in guys like recently Jerron Carter, but before that, um, you know Rob Begg, uh, Chad Owens, and and Bakari Grant. So they're they're a little unproven at the receiver position, but um, you know I, I think they'll have some success moving the football. Though if you're the Bombers, I think they pose, especially after going against you know teams like Calgary and Ottawa the last two weeks, Saskatchewan poses you know, maybe a little bit of a lesser challenge in that they don't have the game breakers like, uh, uh, you know, a, a team like the Red Blacks or Stampeders do. And so maybe this is your opportunity to kind of, you know, back up your defensive coordinator and, 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 and silence the haters at least for one week and, uh, and look to shut somebody down. Now, now I, I, I'm one of those, as, as we've disclosed a couple of times, I am a Bomber fan, despite the fact that Richie Hall came to the Saskatoon men's bonds bill last year and actually watched some of the curling and was a, a very good human being. I think his time has been served as a defensive coordinator, and I think the riders are going to take advantage of that. You mentioned it, Haji. They have the talent and they just can't put it together. On paper, that looks like a great defense. Um, I pose the question now, if the guys in green win both games, is Richie Hall the guy that goes maybe midseason as this team looks for a change? Which, again, thanks to the wins against BC, they might have a week. They can go through this lull and maybe still figure it out, depending what happens in the East. But does Richie Hall's head finally roll in Winnipeg if this ends up in four straight losses? Which I'm of the belief, as a Bomber fan that also hosts a rider, co-hosts a Ryder podcast, I'm of the belief that the Riders are going to win both these games based on those facts that, that you've mentioned with that atrocious bomber, D minus Adam Big Hill. I'll, I'll say this. I, I would be very surprised if 
regardless of what happened this season, the Bombers made a change at defensive coordinator. Uh, With that being said, uh, that's something I'll point to if this team, you know, loses both of these games back-to-back and and fails to impress in the last third of the season. Uh, A third of the season, by the way, in which they... They, they are set to face the, the Eskimos twice, uh, the Riders again, and they still have to go to Ottawa. It's uh, another game with the Stamps. It's it's not an easy last third of the schedule. No. And if the Bombers are, are 5-7 and seven at that point, considering they you know they only lost six games all of last season, if they're 5-7 and seven after the Banjo Bowl, I, I absolutely think a change should be made. With that being said, I, I'm on the record as saying I think a change should have been made already. I, I'm mm-hmm. somebody who... Uh, likes and respects Richie Hall as a person. Um, Richie Hall is probably in, in CFL circles, one of the most well-liked and most well-respected people there is. He's, he's a tremendously nice guy and I have absolutely no personal issue with Richie Hall, no personal animosity with that said, I just don't think he's been an effective defensive coordinator for, for quite some time now. And I think there's a lot of young voices across the league who are, you know, guys who have put in their time and kind of paid their dues as whether it's defensive assistants, defensive backs, coaches, that kind of thing, who are ready for that, that next step. And, you know, Richie Hall and maybe a couple of other guys around the league, be the offensive or defensive guys are continuing to get opportunities uh, when maybe the, you know, in my opinion, it's time for the the recycling game to end a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use an example of that, you know, nobody picked Kyle Walters to go from special teams coordinator to assistant GM to GM in a period of, of no more than three or four years. And mm-hmm. that has proven to be very successful for the Bombers and mm-hmm. building a quality roster and having arguably, I think, the best Canadian talent in the league. It's something that Dave Dickinson said, for example, this last week. He said, mm-hmm. the Bombers Canadians are, are as good as anybody's. And, you know, it. I think it's kind of time for, for, for the Bombers to make a change. They have uh, Glenn Young and Jordan Younger as, as two assistants who I think they like a lot, guys who combined with O'Shea have 39 years of playing experience at the professional level and, and 15 years of coaching experience at the professional level, yet none have ever been in the CFL, at least a defensive coordinator. And so, you know, if you have a, a brain trust like O'Shea and Younger and, and Young, I, I think, you know, it, it might just be time for those three to, to take over as DC kind of in, as, as a group, or, or at the very least, I would like to see the play calling turned over to somebody new because, I think right now, if you're a team game planning against Richie Hall defense, you, you know what you're going to get, you know what you're going to see, and you know when you're going to get it and when you're going to see it. Um, whereas if you know you're uh, you're a team that uh, is coming in and, and suddenly you know Glenn Young, for instance, is calling the defensive plays for the Bombers, well, now you you have no idea what his tendencies are going to be, what his what his game plan is going to look like as far as calling a certain thing at a certain time, and so. That type of shakeup, I think, is in the realm of possibility. But no, I don't think, regardless of, of how poorly this defense plays down the stretch, that the Bombers will make a change in season, uh, which I think could also be uh, could be part of their undoing if their season does, in fact, uh, take a turn for the worse here in the in the short or long term. It's funny, we, we talked a lot about some of the Bombers' flaws, but the Riders are certainly a team that have some flaws as well. And a lot of what you're saying about Richie Hall, you could argue goes on to Stephen McAdoo a little bit and yes. what's going on with the Ryder offense because that unit is equally as flawed and equally as predictable. So, 
you're you you're, you follow the bombers closely, Haji, but you follow the league as a whole. As you know, you're an editor on Three Down Nation, and you, you know a little bit about all the teams. You you played offensive line. You know the game. Um, just like your perspective, because John and I have talked a lot about how bad and boring and predictable this defense, this offense, sorry, can be at times. So, just wondering from the outsider perspective, as you watch the Ryder offense, other than maybe some missing talent compared to last year, where they weren't great last year, but they were serviceable. What, what's really, what do you see as the thing that's holding back the Ryder offense right now? Um, I, I think like all things in, in professional football, it's, it starts at the quarterback position and Zach Caleros, you know, there have been a few people saying over the last little bit, whenever Zach Caleros makes a good play, they'll say, Oh, well that's the 2015 Zach Caleros coming back. And <laughs> I, I think we need to kind of collectively as a CFL community, be we, fans, members of the media, whatever, what have you. I, I think people need to kind of move away from that. You know, Zach Claris was an MOP candidate in 2015, and in 2016 and 17 was, uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say a disaster, but but certainly a, a below-average starter in the CFL. Mm-hmm. And I think now what we're, we're kind of seeing a, a healthy balance of that. He's certainly more effective now as a member of the Riders than he has been in the past, uh, two seasons, but he's never going to be that high flying, um, absolute stud that he was in 2015, where he was, no. you know, arguably the league's best passer and also arguably the league's best running quarterback. You know, a guy mm-hmm. who could t- completely take over a game. That guy's gone. That ship has sailed, and uh, that's not a knock on Zach. That's and just that, reality. He's and that's fine who's, too. Who's We've a, We've talked a lot yeah. on this podcast about how the Riders don't need MOP Zach Caleros for this to be effective for them. He just needs right. to not lose them football games, and he just needs to generally be a decent quarterback with their defense and special teams, put up a few points, don't do anything stupid, and they'll be fine. There you go. And I think, you know, I'm a bit biased maybe as a former offensive lineman, but to me, the next place that I look on any team after the quarterback spot is the offensive line. And whether it's been Taron Vaughn or Takobi Cofield at left tackle for the Riders, I think they've been, you know, merely serviceable. Um, Brendan Labatt is a future Hall of Famer at left guard. Uh, I love Brendan Labatt, love watching him go to battle. But again, he's a guy who, you know, I think he's 31 now, but he's a remarkably old 31, a remarkably... <laughs> experienced 31 given that he's been a full-time starter in the cfl for 11 years now uh and then you've got uh you know whether it's dan clark uh who i i think is kind of just okay as a center um you know whether you want to talk about um you know uh darius bladdock i think he's going to be good at right guard eventually but there's some growing pains in kind of his first year as a starter this year and then uh thaddeus coleman at right tackle i I think he's fine, but all in all, I, I looking from left to right on that offensive line, I don't see anybody who, who really jumps out at me. And that unit, I thought, looked looked decent against the Lions, but the Lions, I, I, I don't, maybe outside of Odell Willis, I don't think a whole lot, I guess, about their defensive line. Um, so, right. you know, I, that's something that I think the Bombers could potentially take advantage of with, and that's something that the Riders need to fix. And, and it starts with the draft, where the Riders have – not had a lot of success at, at selecting and, and developing offensive linemen. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Josiah St. John got some reps this last game when Brennan Labatt was out for a short stint. And I think that's the first time we've seen Josiah St. John take a meaningful snap in literally two calendar years, um, which, which says a lot considering he's, 
you know, the best and brightest offensive linemen that they've developed, at least on the Canadian side of things, in 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 five years, right? Yeah. Um, so outside, of course, of, of Bladdock, who's already in the starting lineup. But, uh, you know, to me, that's the next thing the Riders need to address, and they need to address it quickly because, you know, Zach Claros is not a guy who you want taking a lot of shots, and if he's going to be the franchise guy for the next three, four years, you, you need to do a better job of protecting him. So I've already gone on the record with my prediction. And and again, this comes like with the ultimate bias canceling autism for me. Bomber fan, Ryder podcast co-host, living in Saskatchewan, starting to really get the green propaganda sinking into my soul on a daily basis. I say the Riders are going to sweep the Labor Day Classic and the subsequent Banjo Bowl, um, especially if I happen to attend either game because the Bombers are 0-15 in the last 15 Bomber games I've been to, so I'm now banned from all of them. Um, how about for you two gentlemen? What's the result this weekend? And if you feel like it, take a crack of the Banjo Bowl as well, although that's a week down the road. Let's just focus on this week. Uh, well, I pretty much already shared my thoughts earlier. I think, and I'll... I'll... You know, we Haji and I both have to put in our picks for three down nation in a, in a night here. So I'll probably hold off on thinking about the banjo bowl until I see what happens this week. And we do know that that is always it's always tough to win both of these games, especially if the home team wins the first one. So I'm going with the Riders this week just because I think, and as this is basically the logic I used last week when I picked them against the Lions. It was just that Rider defense out of all the units on the field is the best on the field, and until someone else steps up and has an offensive performance against them. It's pretty hard to get a bet bet against them at this point. Um, I don't believe the Ryder offense can win them a game. They're going to have to prove it to me at some point before the playoffs. Otherwise, that could be a concern on because you never know when the defense might have an off day. So I'm going to stick with the Ryder defense. But if there's any game where maybe the Ryder offense steps up against a pretty good team and shows that it's worth a damn, it might be against this defense. So there's a chance that this could be a bit of a laugher for the Riders, but I think it will ultimately remain close because the offense won't be as effective as it could be, but that defense will win them the football game. Right on. I, I'm ultimately, in, in both games, just rooting for for, for close, fun football. Um, yes. You know, last year the... Sorry? I, I said yes, I agreed with you, John. <laughs> oh, I sorry, I missed what you said. Um, I, I think that, you know, last year, these were pretty evenly matched teams and the Riders won the Labor Day Classic and a laugher and the Bombers won the Banjo Bowl and a bit of a laugher. And so if we could just get two really tight games, I'm, I'm happy. But but as for my prediction, I think we're going to kind of see what we saw last year. And I think I think the Riders are going to win Labor Day. I think the Bombers are going to win the Banjo Bowl, um, you know, and, and that kind of harkens back to, you know, years past. I, I highlighted 2011 and 2013 earlier where. You know, the best team didn't necessarily win either, you know, of the games that 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 I that I mentioned. And so, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think Labor Day, the Riders are going to roll a little bit. And then at the Banjo Bowl, um, you know, I think the Bomber defense, uh, you know, as much as they have challenges here and there, if if they get a quick pick off the top, I think that game could 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 also be be quite one sided. And so I'm picking for for a split that is kind of become tradition at least since the bombers have kind of worked their way back to respectability um since uh maybe you know the mid 2016 season but uh a split is is kind of what i'm calling for and uh 
and yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, the the other interesting thing I think that would come from a split is, of course, the fact that these teams meet again in October uh, at Investors Group Field. And uh, what better way to uh, to have some great storylines going into the season late than the Bombers and Riders playing for a, a potential you know home playoff game or some type of tiebreaker down the road after splitting uh labor day and banjo bowl so that's that's my pick that game in october would would certainly be a whole lot of fun and i think uh the riders might fly john fraser into that one to make sure that the bombers lose (laughs) hey i'll take take a free free flight to winnipeg i'll be there in a dieter brock jersey but i'll take a free flight to winnipeg Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.